Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, Saturday, March 9th, there will be a baby shower for Renata Green. Information is in the foyer. I've entitled the message for tonight, Chastening. Chastening. We've already read from Psalm 94, 12, Blessed is the man whom thou chasteneth. Now in this passage of scripture, we're going to read seven verses, seven times chastening is mentioned. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children? My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, or faint when thou art rebuked of him, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth. Every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present time seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Chastening. Chastening. What is it? Does the Lord chasten me? How can I know? Now when I think of chastening, I think of correction or even punishment for wrong behavior. And that certainly is a part of parental responsibility. Listen to this scripture. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. He that spareth the rod hateth his son. It's so important. But he that loveth him chasteneth him early. To fail to correct 
my children is for me to fail to love them and to correct them, to chasten them, is to love them. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, in the end, when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Now, question. Does that mean if I raise my child, if I raise Aubrey the way she ought to be raised? She's a big, I, I don't raise her now. She's an adult. But in my attempts to raise her, does that mean if I do the very best I can, that guarantees she'll end up being all right, being in good shape? Doesn't mean that at all. I know many people who have raised their kids and their kids end up being utter rebels. What that passage of scripture is saying is train up a child in the way it would go, it should go, the way it wants to go, and don't restrain him. Let him go the way they want. And in the end, they won't depart from that direction in your failure to train them up. Now, if we have children, we want to raise them right. It's our responsibility before God to do so. We want them to be good people, not criminals. We want them to be good people. Uh, somebody says, well, I thought there's nobody that's good. Well, you know what I mean. They're all sinners. I realize that just like you and I are. But I'm talking about productive citizens, productive members of society. We want them to do the right thing. You know, there is right and wrong. And we want them to do the right thing. The parent's responsibility, as long as they're under, your kids are under your roof, is to make them do the right thing. That's the responsibility of the parent. You want them to be respectful, loyal, responsible, generous, empathetic, humble people. You want them to be a good spouse. You want them to be raised up to be a good parent. You want them to be a good friend. You want them to be a good employee. You want them to be a good employer. You want the best for your children, and you raise them up in that sense. Now, chastening is the training of a child. That's what it actually means. We generally just think of being whipped, but that's not really what the word means, although it could be included. It's the proper training of a child. That's the chastening of the Lord, the training of a child. Correction is involved, and there's much more to that in this thing of training a child. Now, I've said enough about training our children. Let's look at the Lord's chastening or training of his people. This is what this is about. Now, look in verse 5. He says, and have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, children of God. You know, there's no higher state than that, to be a child of God. Nothing's better than that. There's no higher place to reach. A child of God, having God as my father, having the Lord Jesus Christ as my elder brother and my savior. Having God the Holy Spirit giving me a new nature. Being a child of God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. That we should be called children of God. Sons of God. What is a greater privilege. I want you to think about this. What a privilege you and I have in being sons of God. 
There's nothing greater than that. He says, have you forgotten? We forget a lot, don't we? Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children? My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now, there are a lot of privileges to being saved by the grace of God. To be sanctified, set apart by God to be his. I hope you're asking, why me? Why would he do that for me? To be elected by God, to be chosen by God, to be his peculiar treasure. To be redeemed by the blood of Christ. To be, to, to be justified and stand before God without guilt. To be regenerated and given a new nature. This is all a part of what's being called a son of God. What a privilege to be a son of God. Sons by union. Both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one for the which cause he, the Lord Jesus Christ, is not ashamed to call them brethren. That's my brother. We have the same father. He said, I go to my God and your God. I go to my father and your father. Sons by adoption. Being predest having predestinated us unto the adoption of sons. God adopted me. He made me a son before time began. Being sons by birth, of his own will begat he us through the word of truth. Have you forgotten that you are a son? Now we're truly members of a royal family and of a royal race. Somebody says, that sounds elitist. Anybody that wants to be in this family can be. I had somebody, I was trying to talk to somebody not that long ago about the gospel, and they said, well, you sound elitist. No, I'm not. If you want to be saved by Christ, he'll save you. He doesn't keep anyone away. Now, you won't come. I realize that. Nobody wants to be saved by Christ unless he gives you the want to. But anybody who comes to Christ... He receives. He said, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Come and welcome. But understand this, the highest state there is, is that of being a child of God. God, my Father. Christ, my Savior. God, the Spirit. My Comforter. The one who gives me life. We have his name, the Lord our righteousness. This is the name wherewith he shall be called. This is the name wherewith she shall be called. We have his name, the Lord our righteousness. We have his protection. We have his provision. We're his heirs. We have his chasten. Not everybody has it, only his children. Children. Now, I want to be chastened by the Lord. 
Now that doesn't, if we understand chasing, you'll want to, you see the Lord's chasing. Here's when people think I'm being chastened, I'm, not, I'm doing something wrong. I need to get more in the word. I need to start praying more. I, I need to start to, all the things you need to do. That's not what the chasing of the Lord does. The chastening of the Lord makes you look to Christ only. Now understand that. That's what the chasing of the Lord is about. It's about making you look to Christ only. And we need to be continually chastened to cause us to do that. This is the blessing of the Lord to be chastened by him. To where you're made to see that all you have is Jesus Christ and you like it that way. And you don't want it to be any other way. That is the blessedness of his chastening. Aren't you thankful for his chastening? If he left us to ourselves, where would we be? But thank God for his chastening. Now, in the context, the people he was speaking to were the people who were weary and losing heart. We considered that last week. And he says, you've forgotten who you are. His children having all the privileges of sonship. <laughs> and he quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children? And this is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For... Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges. The word is slogs, whips. Every son he receiveth. You know, the Lord said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous. Therefore, and repent. Change your mind about the chastening that comes from your heavenly Father's hand who loves you, who's too wise to err, too kind to be cruel, and he never makes a mistake. And his chastening is always to keep you at the feet of his dear Son. That's what his chastening is. It's, it's not you do something wrong and he smacks you for it and, and punishes you. And uh, My punishment was taken care of in Christ. He bore all my punishment. But this is the chasing of the Heavenly Father, the correction of the Heavenly Father to keep us looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think this is interesting. What does this say about universal love? Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He doesn't love everybody. He loves his elect. He loves his people. Whom the Lord loveth. He chasteneth. Oh, I want his chasing hand, don't you? I don't want to be left to myself. Whom the Lord loveth. What a blessed privilege to be loved by him. I love that hymn. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me. A sinner, condemned, unclean, but he does. God the Father does. God the Spirit does. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth 
and he scourges every son he receives. You see, Jacob got his fatherly chastisement. Esau didn't. Esau wasn't a child. Jacob was. And Jacob was chastened. Now, that word scourge, uh, verse 6, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And the word means literally flog. Flog. And uh, the best way I can illustrate this is uh, early in uh, Mexico when Walter and Betty went down there to be uh, missionaries, just a few years after they got there, they actually adopted a Mexican child. They had five kids of their own, but they adopted this child. She was in a very uh, bad condition, and they felt moved to adopt her, and they actually made her their child. And they wanted to be real careful with this little girl, and they didn't want her to feel uh, anything but love, so they just kind of took it easy on her. Uh, they would let her get by with things they wouldn't let the other kids get by with. They would be very quick to, or very slow to correct this little girl. I can't remember what her name is. But one time she was behaving so badly that Walter said, I can't take it anymore. And he grabbed her and he spanked her and she was crying and so on. And in her tears, she said, now I know that you love me. The fatherly chastening. Now I know that you love me. I want to be somebody he loves. I want to be somebody he receives. I'm not going to participate in that argument. How can it be fair for him to not love everybody? Because I know how it would be fair if he didn't love me. And I'm so thankful for his pure, glorious, gracious love. I want to be somebody he loves and somebody he corrects. I don't want to be left to myself. I want his chastening. And if I don't have it, I realize that I am in bad trouble. I don't want to be left to myself. My prayer and your prayer is, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I don't want my will done. I don't want to be left to myself or my own thoughts. Thy will be done. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thy own. It shall be thy royal throne. I want his chastening. Verse 7. Somehow one of my pages of notes are gone, so I'm going to have to wing it, but pray for me. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? If you're having the chastening of the father and let me tell you what the chastening of the father does it shows you you're poor and that you're needy and that you're sinful and you desperately need the lord jesus christ that's what his chasing does it brings you to where all you have is jesus christ if that's where you're at you've been blessed of the father chastening you and 
What son is there that a good father doesn't chasten? Oh, Lord, give me your chastening. Don't leave me to myself. Verse 8, but if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. You know, um, when my dad corrected me, he did it with a belt. And when he was corrected me, I learned to not act defiant. I took it with reverence because I know if I didn't, it would prolong a whipping. I had some sense about the way I... When, you're, when we, our parents corrected us in whatever way it was, we gave them reverence. We knew uh, what trouble it would bring in our lives if we didn't. Now look what he says in verse 9. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Now, I don't think I'd ever noticed this before. He's called the Father of spirits. This is speaking of the spiritual nature that every believer has that you have because he begat you. He's the Father of spirits. He's not the Father of the natural man. He's the father of spirits. And every believer has this spiritual nature he's speaking of. Shall not we rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? And I'm talking about life before God. I'm talking about eternal life. I'm talking about when the Lord said, because I live, you shall live also. What a, what a life every believer has. You know, this shows the power of the flesh that we don't realize how great it is. That shows the power of the flesh uh, dragging us down. But we have life before God, spiritual life. Shall we not much rather be subject, subject unto the Father of spirits and live? 4, verse 10. They verily, for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure. They were fallible, our parents. Uh, they made mistakes. Don't, as, as a parent, don't you regret a lot of things you did as a parent? I know you do. Um, and our parents made mistakes, and uh, they chastened us after whatever sense they had, their own pleasure. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our benefit, our profit, for our good. Everything he does is for our good. And look at this next statement. That we might be partakers of his holiness. That's a, that's a staggering statement. That's an amazing statement. That we might be partakers of his holiness. I love what the cherubims cried around his throne in Isaiah chapter 6 and in Revelation chapter 4. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy is the Father. Holy is the Son. 
Holy is the Spirit. His holiness. His underived holiness. Who shall not fear thee, O God? For only thou art holy. The holiness of God. Every attribute is surrounded by his holiness. A holy love, a holy wrath, a holy grace, a holy justice, a holy immutability, a holy independence. Every attribute of God is holy. His holiness. And it says we are partakers of his holiness. Peter put it this way, partakers of the divine nature. Second Peter chapter one, verse four. Now this is so mysterious, but when God births a man or woman into his kingdom, of his own will begat he us birthed us, fathered us, gave us spiritual life, being made a partaker of His holiness, born of the Spirit. Now, Adam, before the fall, he had a nature. And it was a nature that could sin or could not sin. That was his nature. When he's, God made him upright. And in his nature, he could sin or he could not sin. He went a time where he didn't sin. And in that sense, he was, he was not sinning. He didn't sin until he sinned. But there was a time when he could not sin. He could uh, obey. He could be obedient. But I have no doubt that God had determined in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. He not only had a nature that could not sin, but he had a nature that could sin. He didn't have a holy nature. He had an innocent nature. He was born and created upright. The wise man said this, I know only that God created man upright, but man sought out only many inventions. He had this uh, nature that could fall or couldn't fall. But actually, it would fall because it was all a part of God's determined decree. He said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And I, you know, I have no problem saying that at all. Somebody says, are you making God the author of evil? <laughs> that's, I shouldn't use the word stupid, but that's stupid. Nobody can make God the author of anything. God's who he is. Uh, you're making God this. I'm not making God anything. God's who he is. And he said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And Adam was a lot better off after the Lord saved him than he was before he was saved because he now has a nature that cannot sin. A holy nature. The nature of well, it's called partakers of the divine nature, partakers of his holiness. Let me show you that in Scripture, 1 John chapter 3. First 
Verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed, the seed of God, being a partaker of his holiness, partakers of the divine nature, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. His seed remaineth in him. And he, what's the next word say? Cannot sin. He lacks the ability to sin. The new man lacks the ability to sin. For he's born of God. Now, that is staggering. It's amazing. And even though we have this holy nature, there's no time in our experience when they can say, well, that thought was holy. That action was holy. That, that one passes the test. That, that was, you, you're, you're never that way because you always have everything coming out of this one consciousness. You have two natures coming out of one consciousness. You don't have one nature on, on one shoulder and the other nature on the other shoulder trying to tell you what to do. You know, like the bad angel and the, the demon or the good angel and the demon trying to, that, that, that whole idea is wrong because that introduces a third person. You got this one, this one, and you. No, there's only one man with these two natures, and it all goes through this one consciousness. But the scripture says, partakers of the divine nature, partakers of his holiness, that holiness of which he's made unto us, the scripture says, wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Sanctification is holiness. That's the same word. He's made unto us holiness. He is my holiness. As he is, so are we in this world. And he makes this staggering statement. We'd never believe it were it not in the word of God. Partakers of his holiness. You see, God chose me to be holy. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. Without blame before him. On Calvary's tree, listen to this scripture, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By one offering, or uh, by the which will we are sanctified. Forever, once for all, made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. Right now, you'll never be any more holy than you are right now. Now somebody says, well, that's discouraging. No, it's not. You're going to get rid of this flesh one of these days, and you're not going to be a sinner anymore. And then you'll know the glory of this. But we know the glory of it now. I'm just astonished by that statement. Everything he does in his chastening is that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening. Look what he says in verse 11. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, no chastening for the present time seems to be joyous. Did you ever enjoy it while your parents were whipping you? Of course not. 
I would think. I, I you know, I would, I would think if he hits me one more time, I'm going to die. I didn't think I could take it anymore. It wasn't. It wasn't anything joyous about it at all. It was extremely grievous. Nevertheless, you know, the Lord's chastening is grievous in the sense that when He He chastens you, you're find, you, you find out something about what you are, and your own sinfulness, and your own unlikeness to Him, and your own. That's grievous. That's vexing. That's difficult. It doesn't seem joyous. It's grievous. Nevertheless. Well, that's a good word. Nevertheless. Afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now this is the blessing of our heavenly Father's chastening. It yields this peaceable fruit. What was the difference between the good ground here and the other three bad grounds? Anybody remember? Fruit. Fruit. Every believer possesses the fruit of God the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Turn with me to James chapter 3. Verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish, but For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that's from above. I want that wisdom, don't you? The wisdom that's from above is first pure, absolute truth. Then... Peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, approachable, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. You see, when by the Lord's chastening, I'm made to look to Christ only, and he's all I have. That's the fruit of righteousness. That's the fruit of peace. That's when I'm gentle, peaceable, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits. 
without partiality and without hypocrisy. That doesn't come by reading a book and practice on being that way. That comes from looking to Christ only. And you look to him and that will be the fruit. Don't you want the Lord's chastening to cause you to, as Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, looking away from every other object and looking to him only, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Chastening, what a blessing. And when we persevere and endure in chasing, that means we're enduring looking to Christ only. May God give us grace to do that. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for your chastening hand. Lord, we would veer off and go in every wrong direction and look to ourselves and look to our works and look to our righteousness. Without your chastening hand, that's what we'd do. So, Lord, we, we pray that you'd shut us up to Christ. Hem us up to Christ to where we have nothing else all the time looking to him only. Lord, how we thank you for him and how we thank you for the blessing of your heavenly chastening that causes us to continue to look to him. Bless this message for his sake. In his name we pray. Amen.